Cheers, guys. Welcome to the awards edition of Prest's Surf Trip Nightmares. It's part two. No, they're not over yet. In this episode, you'll hear some of the most famous car park yarns from Wales and abroad. We've got a leaderboard and awards to give. Samoa, Geelang, Chikama, many of the world's best waves will feature, although not always doing what they're known for. And by popular demand, another pair of anecdotes from South Australia's favourite Welsh descendant, Rain Edwards. Yes, we're back. Tom Anderson here, joined by Rob Blythe. Hello. And again, guest host for this second part of our special edition show is two-time European longboard champ, Elliot Dudley. Hello. Well, part one had a pretty wide range of tales, some horrid, some so far-fetched you couldn't write them. There was a lot of love for 1978, the Gundry Bay, Nias, and the Boomerang Board after that show. So first off, uh, let's get straight into it. It's more Wayne Edwards. He promised a Perla when he stated he had a tale called Dehydration on Gradigan. And Tom has been back in touch with the South Australian honorary Welshman collecting the goods for Crest's listeners. Here's Wayne. Well, yes, guys, uh, back by popular demand. Uh, I'm on the line to Wayne Edwards again, whose surf trip nightmare tales have become uh, a bit of a thing over here in south wales uh, and uh, we're gonna now ask wayne if he can elaborate a little bit further on a, a rather enticing headline from last time dehydration on garajigan uh, so what year are we talking now then wayne uh this was a couple of years later so this is probably about 1980 and so when we heard about neas we also heard about this legendary break on the tip of java that sort of no one knew where it was but it was on the tip no one knew which tip north or south but we heard rumours that G-Land had good waves and so we decided we'd make the effort and go there. But being the early days, there wasn't any organised boat trips or anything. You couldn't just get on a boat or anything. So we went overland and went to Grudgigan, the actual town itself, and we had these dreams of beautiful waves, being on this lovely beach, going for jungle walks, you know, perfect surf, but it didn't quite end up that way. Well, first of all, we, our limited Bahasa Indonesian, we had to try and talk to the villagers to get the fishing boat. So we got that done, got our supplies, our water, our food. We said, can you just drop us there for two weeks? So they took us to the end of the point, took us over by boat and dropped us off at the beach. And we looked along and there was nothing there except two platforms with a half a roof on one. And as that, at that point, when we saw the boat going, we got a little concerned. Uh, did we have enough food, did we have enough water and were there really tigers in this jungle like everyone said? Because we thought, ah, tigers, that's okay, just jump in the water. Later on we found out (laughs) tigers can swim and then we noticed that the water was about 500 metres of razor-sharp coral away anyway. So by the time you ran there, you would probably have no feet left to do it. So we settled on the platforms and then uh, decided, yeah, this will be okay, maybe we should go for a surf. And then we noticed there was a lot of monkeys around and those monkeys were eyeing off our food 
and our water. So there was no way you could ever leave your food or water for these two weeks that you were there. So someone had to always guard them or you'd have nothing left when you came back. And, of course, that bit of coast there was just, there was no road or anything. It was just swamp. So to walk out, you'd have 20 kilometres of a swamp to walk. Um, so we decided that, uh, okay, let's just try the jungle walk out. After walking about one metre into impenetrable, impenetrable jungle, you realise there was no jungle walk happening in this place at all. And then we said, let's walk along the beach, and it was so hot that after 100 metres, we realised there's no walking on the beach. There's no jungle walk. We can't leave the food. And at that point, we decided, how much water do we actually have? And we worked out it was about a litre and a half water each per day which we sort of then thought, this is not going to end well if we're not careful. Um, so, yeah, gosh, especially if you're surfing G-Land every day as well. Well, that's right. But I guess it was lucky there was never any surf the whole time because we were there in the off-season because we were school teachers, so it was the only time we'd get a break to go there. So it wasn't the season. So we'd go out and try and have a surf, and they're just only straight-handers. So this was sort of like a blessing because we thought if we're surfing, we're not going to be a drink anyway. So we... Divided up our water, like everyone got their quota of water, right? And whether that's it, so we just lay on this platform and just sip water. No walking on the beach, no jungle walks, no surf, right? And we started thinking, what? Our Indonesian wasn't that good. Did they think it was 10 days, 100 days, 14 days? When's this boat actually going to come back? So... Anyway, one, one guy with us, Kurt, he was just able to live, live on the most minimal amount of water he'd ever seen, right? So his stockpile was building up over the, over the week, bigger and bigger and bigger, and ours were just dwindling away. So eventually the boat did come on the right day, very thankfully, and as soon as we saw that boat, we were just into his water. <laughs> like, I don't know, we suffered so much, or we were just drinking that water <laughs> like we'd never seen it before. <laughs> so that was oh, a wow. whole trip. That was a no surf horror trip. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Wayne. That's gonna that's gonna keep everybody here in uh, in Wales sane. So uh, absolute pleasure, and uh, we'll be back in touch. No worries. Thanks, Tom. Great talking to you again. Ah, uh, dehydration is as bad as it gets. You can only imagine the heat there and the panic as you start wondering if the war is going to last, and even if the the boat drivers are going to turn up for you after two weeks. Yeah, that is the the worrying thing. In in um, Wayne's written version of the Nia story, he talks about this jam karat rubber time in Indonesia, where they just basically they can stretch time one way or another uh, as they like it. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a pretty hectic one. Um, I've got to say something about Wayne Edwards here that's very important, right? Um, when I met Wayne in Timor, um, there was a crew from his hometown there. And I've got to give a big shout out actually at this point to Mark Sully. He's been sending us some nice messages on Instagram. Mark Sully is a, a legend of surfing, of, of, of South Australia surfing. Mark hails from Marion Bay, the same town as Wayne. Um, Mark is a charger and he's a real character, tells great stories as well. We, I'm sure we'll have to try and get Sully on here as well. But Mark Sully has pointed out, and I've seen it with my own eyes, that Wayne Edwards in, is famous in Marion Bay and around the world amongst the Marion Bay crew for being really, really fussy about waves. So Sully often says to me, you know, he say, oh, Wayne Edwards has been to Tavarua, and Sully will go, 
ah, you mean Wayne Edwards watched Tavarua because apparently Wayne, well, Wayne sits there and sits there and like waits for the surf to get absolutely steaming mm. before he goes in. Uh, although he came to Porthcall, Wayne Edwards did, when he was on his way to Chirk Castle and surfed Porthcall Point in June. So, you oh. know, I don't, he can't have been that fussy or it must have been a very good point. But there's a when Wayne talks in this story about getting no surf at G-Land and about it being straight handers. Straight in in and out of the barrel, probably. Um, yeah, I questioned that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's getting as skunked as he says he is there. Um, Sally can maybe confirm that. I don't know if you guys, you guys have probably both read Barbarian Days by um, by William yes. Finnegan. Yeah, it, of course. That yeah. story literally reminded me so much of the, the story where William Finnegan gets dropped off. At, I think it is Tavarua, actually. It's Tavarua, yeah. And they've got the um, and and the, but the water the water tanks were previously used for, for for petrol, and they didn't clean them out properly. And it just as I was listening to that story from um, from Wayne, it just reminded me so much of that of that story in the book. So uh, he's he's in good company with that experience for sure. Rob, you're a fan of this story. Yeah, it's it's my favourite. I think of of Wayne's thus far. And again, the thing that kind of stands out about this story and about Wayne stories in general, just the thoughts of, of empty waves unspoiled. you know, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be uncrowded. As I mentioned before, you're not just hopeful, you know, whereas nowadays we're kind of, Oh, we yeah. might be able to go here in the off season. Or we might be able to go here at this time of year. And, Oh, you know, it might, yeah. it might just be uncrowded. It's all, it might. Whereas back then it was, it is going to be uncrowded. It is going to be isolated. Yeah. It's uh, brilliant. And, and um, like, like so many surf trips, I love, the thing I love about this surf trip is that it's done on on a wing and a prayer. There's there's very little planning. Uh, there's yeah. little thought for self preservation, and it it kind of brought to my mind that surfers are quite unique as travellers in that we'll kind of do almost anything for a wave. We'll risk life and limb, and always kind of err on the side of it'll be all right. It's fine. Eternal optimists, aren't we? Exactly. And that, that's kind of my experience of surf travel. Everybody I know in surfing and the kind of the way I've been brought up to be is to be an optimist. And uh, yeah. if, if you suffer a setback or if you if you suffer a kind of, kind of flat spell or something goes yeah. wrong along the way, it's going to be fine because eventually yeah. it'll it'll all level out. And a massive shout out here as well to the to the whatever the antithesis of the selfie culture is you know like wayne mentions in his other story about surfing ulus with six people out you know i kind of wonder whether um if you had a choice between g-land with six people out or ulus between six people out i reckon you'd choose ulus i think g-land is like what part of the sort of allure of g-land in the early days was the fact that there wouldn't be anyone there and then of course you know there was that iconic surf movie um you know second thoughts with uh with Timmy Turner, Turner. Brett Schwartz, and yeah. Travis Potter, you know, they when they marooned Classic themselves on an movie. island. I, Classic uh, movie, but they're looking, they're staring into GoPros the whole time and they're there making a movie. But these guys have done it without the cameras and without the movie making, just mm. for the hell of it, you know. And so I think that it's the antithesis of the selfie culture. Same thing as well, surfing Ulus with six people out, just going to Ulus. Ulus is the most photographed surf spot on the planet now, isn't it? And these guys have got like next to nothing to show for it in terms of photographs, just the experience. But um, it means more, doesn't it? It means more to have surfed those spots with no one watching than to post, yeah. you know, you, you've got so much more street cred from having been there in the late 70s. Yeah. Ulus, yeah, you can surf Ulus with hardly anyone out if you paddle out at dawn in the dark, but it's freezing cold. And by the time, the you know, you've caught a wave, there's 30 people in. And then, of course, 
it gets more perfect in the afternoon when that wind kicks in more and it, and it gets all sunny and warm. And I just, the thought of that with six people out. Well, Tom. It, it's my... unbearable. We're going in the opposite direction to the whole purpose of this show, aren't we? Who misses surf trips, not us? If we think too much about some of the some of the stuff that these guys have experienced, it's going to send me mad. So let, let, let's let's get Wayne a, a rate in, shall we? Because he's he's coming in for a second go here now. Has his has his tally for lost waves gone up because he's missed catching any waves at G Land, or as Sully might say, that he's you know not managed to find any waves quite perfect enough for him there? Well. As he pointed out in the story, he did go there in the off season. So I, I've not got a lot of sympathy for him um, in terms of the the lost waves. So I'm not. I don't think he deserves oh, okay. a, a a big score on lost waves in that. In okay, that but bear in mind he's carrying a zero for Nias. Also, as Thomas Thomas mentioned, he is someone to perhaps downplay the, <laughs> the quality of the waves. Right, let's give him a two for lost waves now. Then, so he's coming oh, up a little bit. And a half. I'm upping it. I'm upping two it. Two and a half. All right. Uh, and then for hardship, I mean that is he's right up there now. He was there with with Nias before. Four point five. Four point five. Okay, so Wayne's Wayne's ramping up the points here now. Uh, and then tail with legs. I'm interested to hear what Elliot says first because I've got something in my mind. I Elliot. think this is pretty. This is a pretty classic story. I mean, uh, it it's kind of. You know, it's the kind of almost like on, he's on the frontier, isn't he? He's on the kind of the surf travel frontier. He's probably one of the first 100 people to, to go there almost, yeah. you know. Um, so I think, you know, I think we can go pretty big on this. I think we can go high four, I reckon, maybe a, a four, seven, five. I've read my mind. I'm going four, eight. 4.8. The Bob scale's been It's bust. my favorite story thus far. It's it's narratively, you know, just if I can put my writer's hat on. It made me feel sick. When they yeah. were running out of water, and then all of a sudden we discover that his mate has been hoarding water because he can survive on little. Yeah, well, that's the bit. The narrative, if I put my writer's hat on, it's definitely delivered. You know, the fact that 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 kind of punchline. You know, when uh, <laughs> when when the boat arrives and they all just dive into their mate's water, so he didn't need to save it in the first no. place. And I've I got to commend their restraint because I mean, if it were if I were on a surf trip and one of my mates was able to survive off less water i think we'd notice that pretty sharpish and probably start draining his resource i think it's something we can all relate to a bit more you know like yeah. you know two weeks we've all been in lockdown haven't we for however however long and two weeks is a long time when you're kind of stuck kind of focusing on the on oh, the minute yeah. of these kind of things you know <laughs> no surf tigers no water <laughs> Boiling hot. The tigers he's not so worried about. You can't get into the water. You can't get to the surf, which could have been very good for all we know. I mean, those places do get waves in the off-season. Gosh, Ulu's yeah. can pump in the off-season, can't it? And so surely uh, G-Lan can too. I right, so. guys, he's got 11.8 now. So Wayne has jumped right up into second place just behind Gary Lewis. Sounds oh. about fair to me. What do you reckon? Yep. Yes. I'm on right. with that one. I'm told both Wayne's sons have now got horror stories to offer us if we need them. Uh, yeah, they do. Uh, attacked by a mob in Oregon, apparently, and something has to do with a jet ski and a gun uh, in Canada. So, yeah, uh, there is a tradition of surf tales in that family. Well, uh, you know that sooner or later I was going to have to mention Bob, speaking of dads. Of course you were. OK, we're doing the dad's tales now, then, are we? Looks that way. Who's first? Uh, well, let's, let's save uh, Bob up then, because uh, my dad wrote in. Um, right, so you guys know, you know, obviously, and listeners, my dad lives in uh, Pismo Beach uh, in California. It's a pretty pampered life there in Pismo Beach. You've been to Pismo Beach, Elliot? You've been to California a lot of times? It's the only place in California that you can legally drive on the beach. I, I've been there a few times just 
just for the novelty. You and I had to go together. We did in the Welsh Embassy, Mark One. <laughs> oh yes. Right. Thought we called that Van Tom. <laughs> so so Dad lives in Pismo Beach, um, and so obviously you know they they don't have like you know france or spain or the canaries on their back door or ireland you know for them it's uh, it's latin america so that's latin america is kind of supposed to be for people from california um a relatively straightforward like holiday hop you know that's their equivalent of jumping on a on a thompson airline to to some nice little simple package and um, so here's uh, my dad's tale i'm going to read it begins Many years ago, my friend Felipe had been to a wonderful surf camp on an island off the Pacific coast of Panama. Nine of us agreed to let him organize us to go again. There was a teenage boy, a mom, my dad uses all those American spellings, an older lady and several surf guys of different ages. I was the oldest. It was 2016. An American guy living in Salt Lake City owned the camp and had said his driver was going to pick us up from the airport in Panama City on the Atlantic coast and drive us four hours across the country to the island. Three days before, however, he emailed to say the driver would drive us 20 minutes across the city to the bus terminal and we would get on a public transport bus. This was going to mean lots of stops and we would have to know when to get off. Things were emerging as not quite what they had seemed. At LAX, Felipe was stopped from boarding. He had been cheap and bought a pass card for $30 rather than a passport for $100. Americans need a passport to go on a trip and not have one. Um, But a pass card allowed you to cross borders by road or sea, not by flight. Felipe was out. We were on our own. When we landed, we decided to pool our money and pay the driver to drive us across the country to the island. The driver only spoke Spanish, but we were able to discover that the American guy had lost the surf camp to his Panamanian wife when they divorced. We were not going to the beautiful surf camp we had seen photos of. Instead, there was another island. I managed to ask the driver in Spanish if we were going to the camp from hell. He began to laugh and could not stop. He was shaking with laughter and trying to control himself. Obviously, we were not going to be the first surfers he had picked up at the end of their safari, and he knew something. I told the others why he was laughing. That night, we camped in a rainstorm on the edge of a swamp that we were told led to the sea and the island. There were iguanas and toads that seemed supersized. It was dark and wet, and it seemed like we were in Jurassic Park. The drumming rain played its own, maybe ominous, theme tune. In the morning, the nine of us were taken by boat through the swamp and out to the island. We were warned not to wander on the small patch of grass because of the fire ants and stay away from the jungle, of course. There was one surf guide, an American expat, staying away from the US for some illegal reason. The other worker was a cook. There was no phone or internet, and the promised luxuries of free beer and food became a few drinks to last a week and the most basic survival diet with no choices. The one large communal hut had no sides, and we had to burn coconut husks to try to keep the mosquitoes, and what was worse, the no see away. We could only get off the island at high tide, when a boat could cross the river mouth mud to take us to find waves. Twice the boat broke down at sea, the first time miles out, We drifted until the native Panamanian boat guy used a plastic bag torn into strips to fix the fuel lead. The second time was an hour before dark, and just as we arrived at a surf break, there was a sense we were living on the edge of civilization, but also on the edge of safety. By midweek, I was lying at night in a small concrete and corrugated iron dorm, wrapped up wearing socks tucked into jeans, covering everything I could, and realizing my shaking was the beginnings of anaphylactic shock due to all the bites. 
I realized I could get through the nine days because the surf we were finding breaking around other small islands was good. I also realized how much I wanted to be home. The trip from hell was also the best trip because everyone rose to the occasion and we all bonded and formed deep friendships. We got the measure of each other and learned we could rely on each other. I never paid the remaining dues for this trip and nor did anyone else with any fees outstanding. A joke when anything went wrong throughout was to use the name of our missing leader, Felipe, as a swear word, etc. When I did get back to California, I sat in my health club's jacuzzi, bitten, marked all, all, marked all over, still shaking and weak, and wondering how I could go from full health nine days ago to the physically traumatized body I was now bathing and taking care of. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Are you sure that, was, um, that wasn't submitted to Watchdog, Tom? It sounds like something <laughs> that the, the consumer rights uh, program would have a We did have with. to have, you know, like, the, 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 you know, we've been talking about things going wrong, you know, in terms of, you know, when you organize your own trip. But we did, we did have to have sooner or later the, you know, it's a nice simple formula, isn't it? You know, the, the, the surf camp that's not what, quite what it advertised itself <laughs> yeah. as. You know, they are out there, aren't they? Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, so, well, thanks for that one, Dad. We'll uh, we'll rate it in a second. I think we, we're just going to have a look at what else is coming from the dads. And uh, is there a, is, is there a Mike Dudley tale, uh, Al? Oh, to be honest, um, anyone who knows my dad knows how kind of a obsessive he is, uh, and he he literally is OCD about anything. So generally, things go pretty well. I think that the most disastrous trip we ever had was probably down to Rest Bay sort of in about 1995 where he tied his board on with bungee cords and it, it flew off the roof on the m4 um, oh. it wouldn't have been oh, so well, bad we, let's not wasn't. rate it because he might come underneath emily williams there might he, he, he we, we, we kind of although what what will probably I like the idea that the winningest bit. surfer manages to finish bottom of our table it so, was uh, a not phil edwards, um shaped oh. by phil edwards oh jeez um, which landed oh, in the central no. reservation and uh, another kind of well-known kind of Newport surfer, um, Tim Aylett's dad, John, um, luckily enough, pulled up behind us and helped us fish it from the central reservation. But oh, that's, oh, wow. that's pretty much as bad as, it, as it's got really from our point of view. So yeah, we, we've been lucky, I think, uh, yeah. up to that point. I mean, I'd love to go on a Mike Dudley surf trip because you know you're going to score waves and score photos. However, you'll definitely, you'll definitely get photos. Hasn't Mike Dudley put together a uh, a Panamanian boat trip before on that it was Pacific actually side Costa, of Panama? It was Panama. a Costa Rican boat trip. It was oh, like okay. something out of the... Uh, oh, the Witch's Point and Ollie's area, was it? Yeah, it was like a kind of, a, you know, sort of an Oliver North movie. Um, yeah. You know, we were in a, in a, in a former Coca-Cola um, owned by the... I think it was the president of the Coca-Cola owned a schooner and we... Mm. we, we like hired it for a week and we, we sailed up to Ollie's point mm. and uh, yeah, it was good fun. And, and my dad and, a, and another guy called Pete Ratcliffe made a, a longboard movie. Uh, it sold over a hundred copies. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was well received. <laughs> the funny thing is if you, if you made it now, it would actually sell quite well. I'd imagine. Oh, I think it yeah. would go viral if it was on the, uh, you know, it might even make nobody surf, you know, we you had a, you had Dan Harris on that trip with you, didn't you? Whose twin sister Gemma is uh, coming up later in the show. Yeah. Rob, what yeah. about um, Bob? Yeah, well, I I asked Bob this earlier and he started telling me countless tales. But I said, stop, hold it there because there's so many that he has. I'll just do a Bob episode at some point. Exactly. I want to I want to hold them for a future episode. But this is this is one that doesn't involve him, but that he was involved in. So the year is 1971. 
um, and they're in Biarritz. I say they, this is the Welsh crew. Um, by this point, I think this is about the fourth or fifth year of, of making that kind of pilgrimage down to Biarritz. And as he tells it, they, they were in the steakhouse, which is kind of like a, a very famous spot above Cote de Basque in Biarritz. And it was, it was the place that everybody went after, after a day surfing, after a day's beach, you head up to the steakhouse, leave your vans down at Cote de Basque, or perhaps drive up there, park outside and drink beers, eat steak, have a good time. And there are long benches that fill the restaurant and everybody just sit down and have a good old time. And as dad describes it, there were a couple, he said there were a couple of Yanks, about six of them. And by a couple of Yanks, he means the likes of like Mickey Dora and Jerry Lopez and all that lot were in there and 30 Welshmen. <laughs> he says that um, basically they, they'd been there for the last three or four years and everybody had heard how fun it was in Wales. And um, people that didn't even surf were quitting their jobs and going down there just to have a good time. And uh, there's a guy called uh, Boot. And it's really interesting to hear how Boot got his nickname. So Boot, I went to, when I was in New Zealand last year, I went to visit Boot down in uh, Hastings in the, in the south of the North Island. Boot's name is Paul Llewellyn. Llewellyn, Welly, Wellington Boot, Boot is his nickname. And <laughs> he had got extremely drunk one night in the steakhouse and he had headed out and his van was parked right outside the steakhouse and he'd climbed into the back, gone to sleep. His mate that he was traveling with had climbed into the front about an hour later and just driven home. Boot had woken up whilst when he heard the engine start and just thought nothing of it and gone, well, I'm going back to sleep. Fast forward a few hours, Boot wakes up, hungover, super hungover, casts his eyes up. It's still dark and he goes, well, okay, I'm going to go back to sleep. So he goes back to sleep. This happens two or three times later. Again, it's still dark. And Boot, by this time, Boot's hangover subsided. He can't quite understand why it's still dark and his, his hangover's gone. Eventually, he opens the, the, the doors of the van. And this is, so this is a, a bay window, I think. Maybe a split screen back then. And they open up the side doors. And he opens up the side door that kind of opens outwards and it bumps into a wall. And he's very confused because his mate, Alex, that has, has driven him home, only parks at Cote de Basque. So why is there a wall there? Anyway, Boot clambers out and he, he realizes that he's in this garage. And he clambers out, climbs out through the garage, opens up the garage door. And he's met by this very prim and proper lady dressed in her Sunday best gardening. And and Boot speaks no French. He's he's You have to remember that Boot's been in the, the steakhouse. Uh, the night before, in just a pair of board shorts, nothing else, got no shoes, he has got no top, he's got no money. And he eventually, after some kind of confused com uh, conversation with this lady, realises that he's no longer in Biarritz, he's no longer at Cote de Basque, he's no longer in Lamb, he's no longer in Pays Basque, he's in Bordeaux. He had, Boot had left the steakhouse and climbed into the back of a van that he thought was his, and it wasn't, it was a, <laughs> It was owned by a Frenchman that lived in Bordeaux. <laughs> so Boot has climbed into the back of this van. This Frenchman has climbed, has got into the van without realizing Boot's in the back, driven to his parents' <laughs> house in Bordeaux, Bordeaux. <laughs> driven into a garage, parked it. Not only has Boot been there for 12 hours, Boot's been there for 36 hours. <laughs> <laughs> he wondered why it had taken so long to get rid of the hangover and to wake up. <laughs> So, Boot what did he do about out. going to the toilet? 
Who knows? <laughs> it had been 36 hours later, Boot wandered out through the garage door and met this woman who had, like, said, you're in Bordeaux, son. Oh. In his board shorts. And the owner of the van had very kindly given Boot a, a train fare back to, to Biarritz. So Boot boarded the first train back to Biarritz <laughs> in a pair of board shorts. <laughs> so, but meanwhile... Is this the funniest thing story is, or Bob's? This is a, a combination of the both because yeah. dad had been with his his traveling mate, Alex, the whole while. And you'd think Alex was worried about Boot. No, not in the slightest. Alex had been surfing Githri for the last two days. And then when Boot, apparently when Boot turned up, he went, hello, mate. <laughs> that was it. it was, there was no more acknowledgement oh. than, all right, mate, how you doing? And and the thought that Bob is holding stuff back, and so that's like a that's that, a, yeah, that's, that, that's one of the that's one of the weaker tales. That's one of Bob, right, guys? There's going to be a Bob episode. There's got to be. So we're calling that Boot and Bob, and then we've got uh, and then my dad P A as they call him. Uh, we've got to put them into the into the table table there uh, somewhere. Um, but we'll, should we start with P A? Um, yes. Lost lost waves. Well, Sounds like he got a few waves on that trip. It wasn't a yeah. complete blowout. What do you reckon? Then like a one, two, maybe one. A, yeah. Paul, Paul's enthusiastic though, so I think we should up it by a point five, whatever it is. Maybe two and a half, three. Yeah, he, 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 he's where I get it from. That willing to surf anything thing. Mm. Uh, two and a half. Okay. Two and a half. All right, fine. Um, hardship. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Big go big on this one. I think I've been to the. I don't know exactly where this was, but I went to Santa Catalina in Panama about, yeah. about 15 yeah. years ago when, you know, and, and um, that whole area there is, uh, it's the wettest place on earth, which is why they feed the Panama Canal with water all the time. And if you are not covered from head to toe, as soon as it gets dark in insect repellent, you're done for in that area of the world. It's just, it's just so humid and rainy. So where, where are we going for hardship? Hi. Yeah, especially like because because of the way the way he was sold the trip as being this kind of you know luxury surf camp. Um, yeah. I think the the reality yeah. was obviously considerably worse than that. Three point five on the Bob scale, or I think three eight, three eight, I think four maybe. I'm gonna go. I reckon four. Oh, I'll back a lip on that. Four, okay, four, and then uh, tail with legs. I mean the, the 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 bad surf camp. There's a lot of stories about bad surf camps. My out instinct there. here is to go three and a half, but it's not unique, is it? I'll let you boys go either side. Three and a half for me. As yeah, I yeah. mentioned, you know, Watchdog has, you know, missold sold holidays. They're 10 a dozen. So I think, yeah, I think three, three and a half is probably. Uh, That's quite enough. generous, isn't it? We'll go three then. Let's compare it to. Um, oh, no. Two of us have yeah. said three and a half. Let's deal with that. All right. Okay. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh on, on my dad there then. All right. So I think it hasn't reached, it hasn't reached Welsh shores yet. I think once this story gets out there, I think there'll be, people will be sharing right. this story. It's a funny one. <laughs> There's a, there's a, right. Okay. So that he's gone into third place now then, uh, PA has with, with, a, with a 10, uh, right. Boot and Bob, <laughs> lost waves, Githery. Okay, well, bearing in mind, this is going to be Githery with no one out. I'll say that. Yeah. Boots lost a day's surfing. Yeah. That's important. Back so then. he's lost, he's lost waves. He's lost waves. 3.5 for boot for lost waves. Yeah. 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 And, uh, hardship. Not, well, not too bad. Yeah, no, it's well, no could... sympathy there. He just had a really long hangover. He slept the whole time. <laughs> you can remember he's in board shorts. He's got he's got no he's got no shoes. <laughs> he's got no top. He's got no money. The guy gave him money to get. But back he's had a night out in a steakhouse at a good sleep. Well, the steak, yeah, it's true. 
So uh, there's there's uh for the Bob episode there's a very very good episode a uh, very good story about the steakhouse. Oh great. And it involves Etta. As in ETA Etta. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, yeah, Etta the Basque uh net separatist. It, inv- it involves them raiding the steakhouse and et- all the Welsh surfers bailing out of the top window into a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> Right then, Boot and Bob. Okay, well, let, 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 I tell you what, tail with legs. Right, it's it's a Bob won't let it have a five, will he? No, it's a four point eight then for tail with legs, and then hardship is low one. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there was a lot of hardship being passed out in the back of a van. I've, I've been there; it's not it's not so bad. Okay, so that gives him four point eight. <laughs> so he comes in at nine point three, nine point three. That puts him into fourth place, just under PA Boot and Bob. 9.3 and just above Andy Martin with the Berlin Wall tail on our on our leaderboard. Okay, great stuff. Right. Coming back to Wales, we've deployed Rob to interview one of the country's finest storytellers, Gemma Harris, who has recounted a pair of perlers to add into the mix, one of which involving the legend that is Splinter is probably among Wales's most retold trip stories. This tail-gathering exercise by Crest wouldn't have been complete without it. The other tale, well, it's another sad one, but as we know, it can't all be laughs, and something has to counter the impact of hearing about Splinter anyway. Let's hear what Gemma told Rob. So we've heard from Harry about his time in Australia with Quicksilver. Well, there at the same time was none other than Aberavon's own Gemma Harris. Gemma moved on to Indonesia. And that's where this story begins. Take it away, Jem. Okay, so yeah, we'd um, had a couple of months left. So we, we hopped over to, to Indo from Oz. It's pretty close, so it's nice and easy to get to. And we'd been staying out at Padang. Now, this is a long time ago when Padang was just, there was just a few little homestays. And you walk down the cliff and there's a couple of warungs on the beach. And uh, one day... We'd been passing this like little car park area and there'd been like a little litter of kittens and the mum got squashed one day. So every day then these kittens were kind of dropping off the face of the world oh. and there was one left. And, and I was like, oh, I've got to, we've got to do something. It's like the, the last kitten of the litter. So I took it home. It looked like a little pipe cleaner. It was so skinny with a big fat head. And we had it there for about three weeks, feeding it rice and milk, and it was getting stronger. And then we decided that, oh, you know, let's let's nip over to Lakey's for a month and have a little surf trip. So I was, I was like, oh, well, what we can do with this kitten? We asked the lady at the homestay, oh, can you look after pipe cleaner kitten until we get back? We're going to be gone a month. And she was, oh, no, what if it dies? It'd be bad luck. You know, all the superstitions yeah. in Bali about animals dying and things and she's like no no I can't look after it and some of the guys I was with said Jem we're in Indo so and some you know Lakey's is part of Indonesia we'll be fine you can just take it with you and I was like oh, are you sure yeah yeah I'll be fine just just take it with you I was like, okay so we packed up for a month got to the airport thinking on oh, internal flight it's just going to be really quick. So I got through the first lot of security. I had it in a little bum bag. It was tiny. So I put this cat in my little bum bag. It was all curled up asleep. Went through the first lot of security. Oh, that was pretty easy. Nobody said anything. The next lot of security before you get on the plane with the conveyor belt and the um, x-ray door you walk through. 
they're like, yeah, come through. So the boys all went through before me and I was like, oh, getting really nervous. And they're like, don't worry, it's so small. Like nobody will know anything, just go. So I walked through, fine. And then the man on the conveyor belt said, no, you've got to take your bum bag off, put it on the conveyor belt. I was like, oh, no. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So I just, you know, and you're just standing there and you're watching this oh, guy's yeah. face and the, the bag goes through the x-ray machine. And this little Indo dude's face, he just, he almost fell off his chair. He was like, what, what, what's this? And like, he pressed this button and an alarm went and like all these security guards came. They opened the zip on the bum bag and like the little cat pokes its head out and it's going meow, meow. And he picked it up by its collar and put it in one of those little plastic trays you put your jewellery in. And then they went, what are you doing? You can't, this is animal smuggling. And the boys just waved at me, got on the plane and I'm just thinking, oh, my God, I've just watched that film, Hotel Paradise or something. It was about yeah. girls who got busted in Bali for smuggling stuff. Yeah, and smuggling these... drugs, though, I think, rather than uh, kittens. <laughs> <laughs> but I had this image of me going off to some Indonesian prison. And nobody was speaking English to me. They were just arguing and shouting at me in Balinese, going, this is so wrong. You can't do this. And I'm just going, oh, my God, I'm going to get arrested for cat smuggling. But in the end, it wasn't as bad as it sounds. It was actually quite funny. They just they just sort of took it off me and said, okay, you can get on the plane. And I literally was the last person getting on the plane. Everyone's looking at me. I find the boys I was traveling with and they're just laughing. And I was in tears going, you, you guys were going to leave me. <laughs> <laughs> what what became of the cat? I, I, I'm hoping somebody took it home and looked after it, but I think it was probably just put on the side of the of the road or maybe a cat kebab I don't know but I never saw him again now every time I go through an airport I don't know if they can put like a little thing on your on your passport that says oh you know she's been stopped animal smuggling before but they literally stop me all the time (laughs) they're like that's a girl again (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we we talked about this earlier Gem you've got another story about uh, customs and border control with um a notable person from Welsh surfing uh Spinter yes I've got many stories from him but this one in particular so this is this for the benefit of the listener this is a story that I've heard several times and the story changes every time I hear it oh I've I've dined out on this story (laughs) take it away it is quite a good one so we were we were organizing a club trip an Aberavon surf club trip to Ireland we used to do a lot of little trips of the Abraham Surf Club, like Croyd. I think Island we went to a few times and it was really, really good. Always a good laugh. Um, but I think this was the first one we ever went on. And uh, I don't actually think Splint had been abroad yet. I can't remember, but it, we were all really, really excited. And I think we'd been given our boarding passes or something to get on the ferry. So we're at the ferry port in a minibus full of all the boys from the club. And then there was um, the boards and stuff in a trailer in the back. And uh, <laughs> as as we get on the ferry, one of the um, Abraham boys, Duck, we call him, David Henry's, always a bit of a laugh. He's like, oh, let's get Splinter. So he, he had this little uh, sort of game he was going to play with him. And he, he said, when, when I ask for your boarding cards, everyone just give them to me. So he's at the front, right, right we're going to get on now. Um, has everyone got their boarding cards for the ferry? So we all just gave him this piece of paper back that he'd given us. And Splinter's going, oh, I haven't got mine. And he was like, what, what do you mean you haven't got your boarding card, Splinter? What, 
they're not going to let you on if you haven't got it. He's like, but what am I going to do? Oh, God, you know what, Splint? The only thing we can do is hide you in one of the board bags. <laughs> and he's like, really? He goes, yeah, yeah. So we, we got one of the long boards out and slid him into this board bag. And we're like, right, you've got to make sure you lie really straight and keep still. And we slid him down the centre of the minibus and he had his little hands up like a fin. <laughs> and he's lying in this board bag. And and we're driving on the ferry, bump, bump, bump. And we're going, splint, keep really still. We're going through security now. Just just lie really still. Once we're on, you can get out. He's like, oh, okay. And then Duck gets out of the bus and he, he says to this Irish security guy, he's like, oh, look, we've got a boy in, in the back. We're trying to wind him up a bit. Um, he's in the board bags. So can you just play along with it a bit? So this Irish guy's knocking on the van doors, bang, bang, bang. He's like, right, security check. We just want to make sure you've all got your boarding cards and everyone's accounted for. All right. So he's in this board bag. You can probably just hear all this. <laughs> and we're all we're all playing along. The sliding door opens. He's like, right, okay, counting all the people. He said, What's that in the middle? Oh, that's that's just one of our surfboards, boss. You know, it's it's fine. Oh, really? I'll go around the back and have like back doors open. And he's got his he's got like a little stick and he's poking the board bag and splinters starts twitching. Oh, oh. <laughs> What's this? And he goes, what's in here? Opens the board bag. Splinter's little terrified face pops out. He's <laughs> like, what up. are you doing? What are you doing? You can't be right out you get. And he grabs him, pulls him out the board bag, and he's marching him down the boat by his collar. And Splinter's just looking behind, absolutely terrified. And we're all cracking up in I this bus. And I don't <laughs> think he actually clocked it until the, the Irish guy went, oh, look, we're only pulling your leg. It's, it's a wind-up. Uh, and he was... He was terrified. How old but was Flint at the time? We must have been about 16 or 17. We were quite That's young. Yeah. That is brilliant. You oh, can always trust the Irish to play along with that as well, can't you? Yeah. He's, do you know what? If you need some entertainment on a surf trip, he's probably one of the best people to go travelling with Splinter. He's hilarious. Well, that's it. I've heard, yeah, so many stories of Splinter. And the drama all... just follows him. Drama and hilarity. <laughs> Yeah. We'll, have to get him on. we'll have to get him on at some point oh he's classic awesome well thank you very much Jem. no worries it was nice to speak to you oh, you're right that that splinter tale is the sort of thing which will like that'll still exist in in a thousand years of welsh sort of folklore won't it you know it's just it's going to mutate it's going to be like little red riding or something isn't it you know how, how do you rate something like that objectively We've got to use the scale. <laughs> Fair. It's um, oh, the hand. The just, hand just, is making it just, well. Just, just looking back to both of the tales that that Gemma has told. Gemma is a natural storyteller, isn't she? She really paints a picture of it. Yeah. And from the the cat in Indonesia through to to Splinter in the board yeah, bag. Yeah, she's got they're, such they're sympathy classic. for the cat, doesn't she? And we knew, well, we knew that the Aberavon lot were going to have some good ones. I think yeah. what I love about it the most, though, is the kind of um, the collaboration with the law enforcement, you know, the Irish law, law enforcement. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the kind of thing that could only happen in somewhere like, you know, in somewhere like Ireland, Ireland. Or, or Wales or, or, or somewhere else in the UK. And you in know. somewhere like the 90s. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 yeah. kind of it would sound so far fetched these days, you know. If you're anywhere else in the world, it's kind of, you know, customs and immigration officers are, are so serious all the time. Whereas back in those mm. days, you could get them in on a little, uh, on a little joke to trick a grom, you know. It's uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's classic. 
Yeah, absolutely right. Center, you could just hear his voice muffled by that board back. <laughs> yeah. Rating it, Lost Waves. Well, doesn't Zero. Yeah. Are we rating the two stories in together? Yeah. Yes, let's do that. It's, right. it's the zero and lost, we'll lost waves. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, I think hardship, we... There's a bit of, yeah. Well, I think we have to include it from the kitten's perspective here. Yeah, and from Splinter's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there would have been some, you know, serious worry. You know, Splinter would have been there absolutely crapping himself in that board yeah, bag. Yeah, in versions of that story, <laughs> I've heard versions in which he's, like, begging from within the board bag. <laughs> yes. So, as I mentioned in that part, that's the story that I've heard. Yeah. Three uh, for hardship? Yes. That's a perfect And then story. this is a 4.8 for legs then, isn't it? If we combine this, I'd even go. I'd even go higher on the legs. I, Let's I'd go, go higher. To, this is the this story is it, that is five. You know that feeling when you know you know something's full marks when someone's yeah. blown out of pipe with the spit, and you know you know. I'm. Uh, it's, a, it's a Jamie O'Brien moment for sure. This is the story that's carried and carried and carried. Let's give it a five. Yeah, this I is this so. is Wales's one of Wales's most enduring tales of surf, isn't it? This story mm. of Splinter. Yeah. Splinter it does help bag. listeners if if you don't know Splinter, he is probably the funniest person you can possibly travel with isn't he and also when <laughs> yes. we were talking about number of welsh titles i believe he has probably won more than anyone i mean he literally was he was a stalwart on top of that what you know the welsh bodyboarding champion podium he was there something year like on, 18 yeah. welsh bodyboard titles yeah isn't just, it? just every year um but yeah and also one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He is an absolute yeah. legend. Yeah, he is. He's a legend. Right, it's a, it's a five then. Let's give him a five. So, um, but he's carrying that interference for the fact that his story doesn't involve any lost waves there. So it's an eight. Yeah. I mean, he jumps over <laughs> Luke and Harry, um, but uh, are we calling it Splinter forward slash Gemma? Look, it's Gemma. It's Gemma's story. Yeah. Gemma yeah, yeah, yeah. Harris Gemma's, uh, goes Gemma in with it. an eight. Uh, she goes into uh, sixth um, place in the leaderboard there. Gosh, that's mad. That splint, that splinter. There's something wrong with the scale when splinters. When there that, is. I think you devised that. You devised the flaw, flawed scale. I've come back. What did I say? As soon as we finished hearing that sunbed, I said, how do you rate something like that? And Dudley, you live by your words here now. You said, objectively use the scale. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's been done, hasn't okay. it? I mean, he can still so enjoy I, the full marks for like the Fernando Aguirre um, right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, there we go from 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 one Welsh legend to another uh, Welsh legend. Uh, <laughs> last week, you'll have heard a harrowing tale from Atlantic Majors Mark Vaughan. Uh, rightly, it was deemed not to be one which we'd use as an awards entry for Mark. Uh, we did really appreciate his candour in being able to recount that experience, though, because it is important that we do have the darker side of travel represented. However, Mark is also a great person for the more amusing tales as well, and for pranks for that matter. How, how good is that series of phony phone calls that he made to Greg Owen a few years back? <laughs> Are we talking he made to Greg Owen or made as Greg Owen? Because I've been victim <laughs> both, of both. Yeah. So, uh, well, we, we've done the decent thing in the light of that, given, given these guys' reputations. Uh, and we've sent Elliot on the trail of Vaughny. Uh, so as to get us another tale, something which can be used as a leaderboard entry. Have you managed to do so, Elliot? Very much so. Oh, great. Here we go, then. Uh, it's uh, Mark Vaughan. So last time we spoke to um, to Mark Vaughan, uh, he told us all about a, a surf trip that was memorable, probably for all the wrong reasons, um, quite a harrowing story. Um, 
this time something a little bit more lighthearted, something that I think we could probably uh, all relate to a bit more. Welcome back to Crest, Mark. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. I didn't think you'd uh, ever have me back. <laughs> so uh, uh, everything good? Very well, very well. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing some, uh, you know, some of the more legendary Lantwit tales. Um, you know, you boys uh, are known to to get around uh, the country uh, on your sort of surf travel escapades, be it Pembrokeshire or North Devon. Uh, and, you know, with some of the characters from Lantwit, I'm sure there's some, uh, some, some classic uh, funny stories from these road trips. Uh, that actually uh, just one that pings into my mind that I completely forgotten about, which was, um, well, for many years, we did the British interclubs of Channel Coast Surf Club. And that would usually involve all of us jumping in a, a van, usually one of vans from work and, um, <laughs> and uh, drinking as much as possible on, on route. Uh, we'd stop off at like you know, Western Supermare or, or Taunton. Uh, to compete in the interclubs, which is usually in Croy to Wollacombe. And uh, uh, I think for three years in a row, we had uh, 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 an arrest and a hospitalization. So, uh, but are none we, of those are we going to name any names there? No, 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 no. stays on tour. Yeah, definitely. Thing. None of those happened to me. But in that same part of the world, um, I, I had two, two quite amusing trips to Lynmouth. One, one with my friend uh, Jock, uh, Mark Jones, uh, Boner, as he's, uh, he's got man with a thousand nicknames. Uh, but we, we went down to Lantua. It was uh, December time, or maybe early January. And uh, I looked at the waves. I was like, oh, solid swell, straight southerly wind, limits on. So I said to Jock, come on, we're off. And he was like, but it's like half 12, quarter to one. I was like, ah, it wouldn't take as long to get there. So we, 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 we drove as... Well, I drove as quickly as I could possibly drive then. I mean, these are the days when, you know, there was no webcams, no internet, no forecast. No speed cameras either, I presume. No, luckily. Um, But even with uh, my skills behind the wheel, and um, we got to to Limbus, and, uh, yeah, everyone was just getting out. It was pitch black, and it was firing. But we literally went in, had one wave each, and had to get out. It was just pitch black. So we literally drove three, four hours for one wave each. So that was mildly amusing. it's a common misconception, though, Mark, isn't it, that there is a time difference between uh, England and Wales? So I can see how you would have, you know, you'd have got confused on that one. So, mate, you, you know what it's like. You could, it's so close. It's literally opposite us, and you're looking at it going, "Oh, okay." You'd have been on this anyway, I think. You might have got there a bit quicker. <laughs> yeah, that, that could, that's a challenge I've been maybe looking to do, just the the, the paddle over. But uh, I reckon it'd be quicker than driving. Uh, but that's another that's another competition to get into. But. Uh, yeah, so I, I told all the boys, I was like, oh, mate, this guy's massive low, right in the right direction. I, I became quite good at reading the low pressures and forecasts in Lynmouth. And yeah, so headed on down there early because I was too excited and um, got there, like literally deadpan flat. Um, sat there for three, four hours, nothing. I left. And, and again, these days, pre-mobiles, I passed my brother in a, in a van with all the lads coming the other way. They was like, Flash me with a, I was like, no, nah, it's flat. Anyway, they headed down. It was flat. They drove to Woolacombe. It was two foot. They had a couple of ways. And within an hour, Woolacombe went from two foot to six foot. Uh, by the time I got home, the boys were ringing me from the phone box in Limmouth to tell me it was like six to eight foot Limmouth. So I literally drove there to look at it flat, to drive home, to then be told you missed it and it was pumping. I, I, and I could have waited. It was no, I just gave up on it. So, uh, yeah. I guess the moral and, uh, of the story is never give up on a swell until it's 
pitch black. <laughs> yeah, and as people, as sort of, I guess anyone sort of who knows the area would know that the winds that for for Lima for kind of the polar opposite of of what you want for land to it really. So uh, yeah, you'd be getting absolutely. home to pumping swell and terrible winds. So that'd be even more more frustrating. And and that's exactly why you know Limbus on because you can like, you, the wind is straight into your into your face at, at Landra and the swells the swells on so uh, yeah fun and fun and games. Do you but, think yeah. um, just as a, as an aside, do you think that sort of um, those kind of experiences are something that we've kind of lost in the modern age? You know, with the uh, you know the invention of kind of surf forecasting websites and <sighs> that thing of waiting for a swell to arrive and not ever really knowing and do you yeah, think I think. Lost. I think there's there's, a, there's an element of that, but there's the you know things still surprise you. I mean, uh, again, another experience, similar thing. I was up in Thurso area, um, and uh, waiting for this supposed swell of the century to arrive, and it, and it didn't. At least not until half past one in the afternoon, and I gave up and drove home. Uh, and then literally got to Inverness, and um, you know how long it takes to get from Thurso to Inverness? You know, three hours in the daytime. And I had Nath, who I'd left up there, who was staying up for another couple of days to do the QS contest, you know, having that first, like, or one of the first documented surfs at bagpipes, which, and it was pumping and just telling me all about it. And me and Colin were in the car, we were like, yeah, righto. So, yeah, you can get caught out, I think. You know, you learn from these experiences. And, just a uh, short 12-hour drive from there as well. It's not, not the uh, yeah, not the worst, uh, is it? I've <laughs> I've, uh, I've done it a few times on my own and it's, it's pretty it's pretty hard so uh but it's it's worth it i think the reason mark uh keeps leaving spots is because he's too busy he's one of the busiest people i know isn't he or at least he pretends to be he certainly is always in a rush uh you know i've i've known mark for Oh, dare I say it, almost 20 years. And, uh, you know, he, he does rush and tear. I'll give him that, yeah. He's quite impatient as well about waves, isn't he? You know, I can, I, I can easily see him doing that. I reckon he must have done it on a on a sort of shorter scale as well around South Wales, you know, turned up various places, now gone, left, you know. he's. To be fair to him, he, he is, like, he literally does know exactly where most spots will work. Mm. And he gives himself that kind of, the, the sort of bare minimum amount of time that he needs to surf somewhere. So I can kind of see, see how, how, it's how he gets in. in these, how he gets in these kind of sort of messes sometimes. Uh, so so he kind, kind of, of deserves this situation, doesn't he? He's too, he's too kind of specific, really. Um, he's too precise. I think uh, with, you know, as a surfer, you've got to kind of be a bit more flexible. You've got to be willing to hang out a bit more, which is something I I'm really bad at. Um, mm. But I think, you know, you've got to be willing to turn up at the beach, you know, an hour before it's working and yeah. be willing to stay yeah. there for an hour after it's supposed to work. Um, yeah. If not, just to shoot the breeze and have a chat and, you know, enjoy the moment. Or paddle out and surf it not as good as you were expecting. Yeah. I'm I'm always a big fan of getting out there before it's working. So that that yeah. first set that comes through that's, you're on you it. know, classic yeah. set, you're on it, yeah. Yeah. Um, well... Lost waves. Some, he's missed some very good waves there. If we combine those three anecdotes together, that's yeah. probably about a four, wouldn't you say, on the Bob scale? Definitely. It sounds like, uh, you know, basically two epic days at Lynmouth. Um, yeah. And as we all know, Lynmouth used to be a lot better back in the day. Um, you know, with the, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it always is better. So it was yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, true. Um, by today's standards, probably considerably a lot less crowded. So Yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, no webcam. 
so more fickle you know if you know what you're doing you can score it can't you whereas now you just yeah. look at the webcam uh okay and then hardship well you know he's still he's safe and well and comfortable the whole time isn't he but it's annoying bit of driving boredom oh. 2.5 yeah we're talking a five hour drive there um yeah, you know but no surf 2.5 half marks yeah i'd say and maybe. then legs yeah, you know, they are, they're good stories. The bagpipes bit of that I've heard a few times on the grapevine. So I think there are three more than half marks for that for legs. I'd say I'd go slightly higher because I mean, to drive to Thurso, I mean, that's a hell of a story. Okay. Thurso and 3.5? You know, yeah, I'll go three, three, four. What do you reckon, Rob? Three, five? Yeah, it's uh, what I find interesting about this story is that even though we've got such accurate kind of models now, we still refuse to believe. What's in front of our eyes if we think there's something's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really do. And so this is a timeless uh, again, tale. It's got a moral. Ag- to again, it. from Bob, I've I've heard stories of looking at pressure charts and turning up to places like Aberavon whilst it's flat and just waiting for the swell to build. And seeing it happen, it yeah. Does. Yeah. Well, cool. let's so, go a bit more then. Three point eight. Yeah, I three point so. eight. Okay, a nice test of my maths again. Yeah, then so it's a four, two point five, six point five. 9.5, and then we add the 0.8 on, so it's a 10.3. That's gone in uh, a long way up. Uh, that's jumped into third place, just above uh, PA. There we go. Good stuff. Good work, Mark Vaughan. Into third place on the leaderboard. Excellent. Well, thanks for that interview, Elliot. Uh, one of the reasons that we first earmarked you for this show was the fact that you'd had this experience of getting repatriated once the, the lockdown started. And Your your Aussie experience isn't eligible because of your presenter status, but we've tracked down another repatriation tale to compete on its behalf. Tom's old school friend, Richard Stroud, a seasoned traveller and dedicated Latinophile, was in Peru when things went wrong. Back on Welsh soil, Tom invited him round for a socially distanced drink and pizza, giving us Crest's first garden studio interview. Here it is. Well, welcome to a special little mini crest production here. I should say, uh, bienvenido. Uh, Como estas, uh, Ricardo? <laughs> Todo bien, gracias. Oh, look at that. Do you hear the accent? This is, so I got Richard Stroud with me. Uh, the, I'm going to introduce him as the 1996 Welsh bodyboard champion, which he was. Oof. And, uh, and he's now um, a pretty adept stand-up surfer as well. So uh, how are you doing, Stroud? We're going to hear a, a pretty terrifying tale now of uh, surf well, adventure mishap i'm doing very well thank you um thanks for having me on but uh i wouldn't say terrifying but yeah so in short what happened to stroud was that he got stuck in peru when the covid crisis broke out and uh, you were part of that group of people that we all heard about in the news the stranded brits yeah true and uh, life as a stranded brit it was inconvenient yeah i mean the most inconvenient thing was being in chikama I've not been allowed to surf. You know, Shikama is arguably the world's longest wave, isn't it? And you're a goofy footer. Yeah. And a stylish point break goofy footer at that. <laughs> Won't go that far, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> so let's start from, from, you know, how did you end up there? You'd gone to Peru after finishing up in Ecuador because you were doing some surf instructing in Ecuador, yeah? Yeah, well, I was managing a mate's hostel out in Ecuador. Um, did my six months there after extending my three-month visa for another three months. And I thought, well, before going home... Let's have a holiday on some left-handers because I've been surfing a right-hander uh, for the whole time, pretty much, and a 
not great closeout beach break. So yeah. I thought, well, let's get down there for a month or two, catch some laughs. So you've got to stay for a month in Chicama after you've done that horrible road trip, because those Latin American road trips are pretty tough, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, sitting on those buses. And travelling with a surfboard is never that good, is it? And the guys like to charge you extra because you've got a surfboard with you. Yeah. So not, not, not that it's that expensive to travel, but yeah. So you're there, you're in, you're in Chicama, and life's good. So uh, you end up with uh, Buenas Olas down in uh, Chicama for a little while? Yeah, yeah we, had, yeah, we had some super buena ones. I, I think I put some pictures on Facebook or, yeah, or Instagram them. or something. And w one of them was just like a picture of magic seaweed with five stars yeah. and six feet, yeah. which... Which means lovely, you know. I don't want it much bigger than that, mate. Hell of a wave. Sore <laughs> oh. arms, sore legs than arms. Your legs burn yeah, before your like, arms. Loads of paddling, but by then I, my paddling was strong because yeah. I'd been in and out of the water for s six months. You yeah. know, my paddling was super strong. Surfing it got better and life's good. Oh, mate, some amazing waves. Like the longest waves I've ever had for sure. By Meanwhile, somewhere in a market in Wuhan, <laughs> yeah, a tiny virus. <laughs> is jumping from pangolins to humans. Mm. And when did you first hear of that small development in the history of humankind? Well, I'd heard about it a month or so previous that, you know, he was out in China and you know, all, all the Ecuadorians are kicking off about, like, it's the Chinese because they just eat bats, you know? <laughs> and, and so so now we're paying the price for the Chinese eating bats. I tell you what, I've seen some pretty odd things in Ecuador. Yeah, and eating yeah, myself, uh, yeah like, and Peru and a lot of Latin America. Yeah. They eat all sorts. I think I did a goat's testicle soup or something in one of those places. Oh, I had a goat's testicle. It wasn't a soup, though. Oh, was it? <laughs> um, yeah, so then, you know, I just carried on travelling, thinking, whatever, it's out in Asia. And then I, st I, you know, I wasn't really... I don't really follow news on my way. I just cruise about and enjoy myself. But um, then I heard about it in Italy. And then a couple of French guys we were with, they're like, oh, they're going to they're gonna stop all flights out of Peru. And I'm like, what? I haven't heard anything like that. I got a flight. It still says it's happening. And... And then a day or two later, they're like, yeah, everything from the 16th of March is locked down. Can't leave the town, can't travel, airports are closing, left, right and centre, and yeah. So, but, but there was a rumour there was just flights from Europe coming to Peru. Peru because so you're about to get Chicama with no one in the water. Yeah, yeah. Quick, everyone go home. I'll stay. <laughs> um, which would have been a lovely plan, and a few people did stay, and a few people, people tried to rush off, you know, get to a yeah. bigger town, etc., get to Lima, and I just thought, oh, I'm just going to stay here and um, see what happens, because, you know, I had a nice place to stay, a bit of a crew around me, And you, you were allowed to surf at first? Well, there was rumours, but, yeah, we carried on surfing, and then things kind of changed, and the police actually came round to each hostel and hotel and told the owners to have a word with all your guests and say no more surfing. So then it was a day or two when we were out of the water and then tried not to look at magic seaweed to see that the amazing forecast for the next few days. Um, but then we heard lots of locals saying, look, we know the local police. They wander about, they have a cup of coffee. They don't get down the seafront until about nine-ish. So get in there early, first light, get out you know, by eight-ish and you should be fine. So we thought, all right. So we had a couple of morning surfs. Then we heard a few rumors again. So we thought, right, let's just pick our days, you know? Right, surf's pumping in three days, right, we'll... Hit the keep, dawny then. Yeah, let's have the dawny, mm. get up at five, walk yeah. along the beach, six-ish, still dark, by yeah. the time you get past the point and paddle out, all good. Yeah. Um, you can always just say, lo siento if you get caught anyway, can't you? Well, I think Sorry. you just got to say, 
Sorry, bud. Yeah. Don't speak Spanish, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the better Spanish is, the more trouble you get into, I think. <laughs> oh, you're getting a lot of trouble then, because you're doing good these well, days. Well, it's not bad, you know. I can hold my own. So, anyway, we had a couple of surfs, and then uh, the last time I surfed was... I had a super long wave come all the way across, and I was like, that was a good one to finish on. I think I'll get out. And I was in front of the kind of the hostels because I'd had such a good wave. Yeah. Anyway, I was coming out, walking up the beach, you know, it's still about half seven in the morning, so I'm like, oh, I got you know, plenty of time to get up out of the beach by eight ish. Because the time you walk back to the oh, point, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, yeah. going to be another half hour oh, otherwise. Yeah. So, anyway, walking up towards the beach, and if people have been there that are listening, they know that you walk up the beach and there's a bit of a bank going up to the, like, the promenade. Mm. Anyway, as I got closer, I could see these two boys with their boards ducked down, hiding. And I'm like, what's happening, boys? And they, and they were um, like, policia, policia. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Give us a set of order. Like, what are you going to do now? And they're like, we're going to go back towards the point. I was like, I'm following you. <laughs> so we start like running along, you know, under the bottom of the hill out of sight. And then suddenly these, we see a whistling, so we stop, we look, and there's guys up on the balcony. Ahora, ahora, vamos, vamos. Like, come on, now, now, now. now. Yeah. Like, because the police had gone. So uh, we're like, well, okay, right, let's do it. Ran up on the promenade, legging it down the street, got to the corner, some woman was over there in front of me to the left, and she looked down the street for me. It's clear, go! And I'm like running again. And then I get to another corner, I can see the door of the hostel, so I'm like, I think I've made it. Sprinted the door hostel, but he's still all locked up because, oh, they, no. because the owners weren't there. So like, doo, 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 come on, come on, doo, 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 doo. just you know, waiting yeah. to get caught. Stood there in a wet wetsuit with the board dripping. Like, <laughs> no, just in a shower. shower. <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't been to outdoor shower. Yeah. Anyway, managed to get in. All good. And then we just watched from the door of our hostel. You can see up to the street to the prom, and you can see a couple of people running past. It was pretty funny actually to watch because you only have this little snippet of the prom. You know, yeah. in the, at the top of the street. It's so like, gringo running past. <laughs> Local running past. A cop running past. Yeah. And then someone else running the other way. It's like, what's going on? Like, you know, you really want to know what's going so, on, but you can't go out to look. So the cops cleaned up on everyone anyway, that was yeah, still out there, did they? About 20 odd people got arrested. Oh. So they took them all down to the local police station. Took their names and everything and just kind of sat them in the sun for like four hours. <laughs> Some kind of punishment. Which for the local boys wasn't probably that bad, but... Uh, for yeah. the paler, paler lads there, like ourselves. Big trouble. Yeah, just getting booted up. Yeah. Anyway, they took the names and said, boys, if you catch you again, three years in prison. In so Peru. that was my last surf that day. And then I that, didn't, didn't fancy And then it, it was then. lockdown. Oh, well, it'd been lockdown for a few days anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, and you know, over there they have, we could go out to the shop once a day. Yeah. Uh, you could have, um, no, that was it. You could only go to the shop. They didn't say anything about exercise and that, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and there was a curfew as well. So it was from eight o'clock at night till five in the morning. If you get caught, you're really in the shit because the army are out there. And so then you reckon that the, the British consul did a pretty decent job of getting you guys home in the end because that flight home from Peru was like reported back here on the news as if it was like just a horror show, you know, of like COVID riddled tourists all <laughs> rammed into a plane together. As far as I'm concerned, the whole thing was pretty good. Like. It only took two weeks. Yeah. I don't know. They're dealing with how many Brits are in how many countries all around yeah. the world wanting to get home. You know what I mean? So they bust you down to Trujillo. Yeah. And then from Trujillo down to Lima. Yeah. Which no, is like... no. I had to get I had to get to Trujillo. So we got into a just got a taxi. Yeah. 
asked if he had to get special permission from the police yeah. in the town to leave the town because yeah. they had barricades in each town. He's taking there. you there, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, got to the bus terminal. And what's that? It's about 15 hours from Trujillo to Lima? No, it was only 11, I think. Yeah. 10 or 11. Yeah, the, the, there's no one on the roads, is there? Oh, yeah. So just like, whoop, yeah. straight down. And then did you have to stay in Lima for a night as well? No, we, they took us to a hotel and we took us down into some kind of, uh, uh, like a meeting room in a hotel. Yeah. And we all just, they had chairs all laid out, you know, two yeah. metres apart and two metres back and four and we just sat in here for a couple of hours and then the aeroplane is not two meters yeah oh yeah yeah exactly uh, and the bus to Trujillo <laughs> yeah was just like a normal bus full yeah and then the bus that we sat on outside the hotel for three hours not moving before we had the go ahead yeah to go to the um the the uh aeropuerto aeropuerto yeah that yeah we sat in that for like yeah. Three hours next to just some random stranger from another part of um, Peru. Peru as well, because yeah. at least I suppose the bus from Trujillo is quarantining everyone who's in that like, part of yeah, Peru. Yeah, the whole the whole yeah. Trujillo crew were all together. Yeah. But then you get on the bus and you're like, "Where have you just? Where did you come from? Oh yeah, right up north in the jungle. All right. it all what up. about you? Oh Cusco. Oh okay, good. Yeah, because <laughs> wow. I think Cusco had it bad. I think because it was a hostel that got fully well, shut down. Well, Cusco is a massive international tourist oh, yeah, hub, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So Cusco is for the listener is the access town to Machu Picchu basically, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's well, so Aguas Calientes just up from there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So um when you got home, they just that was it. Bye. Welcome to Britain. Yeah. I got got off, landed in Heathrow, everyone's like, sick, we're home. It took I think it took forty hours for me. Yeah. Some some who were in Lima and that not so long, others that were in out in the jungle. And no curfew when you got home or no No, no they worse? didn't they didn't tell us anything. We just arrived in Heathrow, got off the plane. Thanks, guys. Ta-da. Cheers, cheers, BA. And then just get home? Yeah, walk through. My passport has got this electronic now, so just scanned that. Went over, picked up my bag, and left. Jumped in a mega bus. Just me, the driver, and like one other person from Heathrow, all the way down to Cardiff. And then you went for a socially distanced beer in the garden with your cousin Lee. And then one of the Crest presenters jogged past. And a conversation started, which has led you to this amazing. Well, Richard Stroud, muchas gracias por hablando con nosotros on Crest. In español. De nada. Fue un placer. <laughs> well, I've never surfed Chicama. I know both of you have. How was it? It's a, it's a great way. What do you reckon, Al? Yeah, it's, it's kind of different to how... I expected, I think I just pictured this one perfect point break, but there's actually kind of almost, uh, it's almost kind of three different spots. Yeah. For me, it was all about the length of the ride. There was no, no, it's almost, it's all about staying high and yeah. just, just kind of gunning for that kind of peer in the distance, really. Uh, yeah. That's, well, that's how it was for me anyway. But, it's uh, a pretty surreal place though to be surfing, isn't it? You know, the way that, that you've got the freezing cold water against the equatorial sun. And, you know, the, I, I saw one of those blue footed boobies on the beach. Uh, you know the the birds that Darwin had written about. It's almost a Martian landscape as well. Yeah, you, as is, soon yeah. as you get walk out to the point past the village, um, it's literally just this kind of yeah. It's like something you know those kind of old scenes from Star Trek, the William Shatner Star Trek. You know that they used to film yeah. out. Some, yeah. it, it it reminded me of that kind of just this kind of almost uh, sort of fake 
space environment you know uh, and you can imagine it kind of almost drifting more and more into like the feeling that you're in mad max you know as these police sort of lock the place down and uh you know except then you look out the window and see those waves reading away yeah it's a funny one actually because um you know when i was there I, we had a few days where it was flat and you know most surf towns they're kind of they're nice places to be um whereas chikama aside from surfing it's not a it's not like a super nice place to hang out it's kind of it's pretty dusty there's not a lot of rest there's no restaurants or yeah, cafes nice or anything like that go. it's uh it's a pretty yeah. hardcore place to go and and yeah. and as soon as you you kind of can't surf anymore i i would really struggle to to justify staying there really so it must have been it must have been a difficult one to to you know being literally chased out of the water by cops and yeah and, and then you know yeah, and there's nothing to look forward to, I suppose. You know, you you were looking forward to either going south or north, um, you know, to either Ecuador or, um, you know, perhaps most people go into the Andes and go to Machu Picchu from there, don't yeah, they? Yeah, so, that was exactly uh, what we did. We we headed from there yeah. to Cusco and and uh, yeah. or via Lima, and yeah, it was kind of yeah. it was our last stop on the coast. But all Peru, he's really. got to look forward to is that jam together on the non socially distanced flight home. There's a there there is some, there are some suffering points for Stroud to earn there, aren't there? Yeah, and some points for lost waves. For He's sure. going to do all right here, isn't he? I think. I think so. I think this could be the kind of the, the almost like the the benchmark actually. Um, yeah, this is this is that this is going to sort of like chip away at getting through round after round after round here, isn't it? By just constantly yeah. picking up the right score, you know, the, those scores. Yeah, uh, lost waves. There's points three and a half. I mean, oh, more, yeah. more, 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 more. Literally, all the hostels in Chikama are pretty much, you know, looking over the point. You can, you can, you can look over there. So it's, it's that kind of. Not only are you missing the waves, they're they're staring you in the face. Giving it a four, then. All right, uh, yeah. and hardship three higher. That bus journey, that bus journey would have been pretty pretty intense, I'd imagine. All right, but okay, three five. You ride as well. I think yeah. you're being very very uh, hard, Tom. All right, three eight. I think so. Yeah, I think, I think we can go three eight on the hardship. All I mean, right, and then Trujillo's uh, a, a pretty hectic little little town. It is, it, it is, hectic. and a four um, for the legs of this tale because I mean it's 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 going to turn out to be history being made, really, isn't it? You know the, the, those events. Mm, yeah, I'm surprised that hasn't made the BBC. That's true. Well, maybe it will after this. Uh, we're in negotiations. Yeah. yeah, that's what we'll do. We own the rights to it now, though, so we'll sell it to the BBC. We'll sell that sound bed to them. Right, so we're on for a pretty decent score there. That's coming in at 11.8. It ties with Wayne Edwards. Um, the top. Yeah, in second place. Uh, it ties with Wayne Edwards. Now, that's quite good because uh, I think Wayne is is going to have uh, a reply pretty soon. And who's out in front? Gary Lewis still. Oh, really? Okay. Elliot, you've been to Samoa? Yeah. You can like this one. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. Well, it's time for South Australia's Wayne Edwards to put his third entry in. We won't rate this one as he's, well, he's already got his foot on the leaderboard anyway, but you might have something in common with the chicken killer of Savai, Elliot, which Wayne told to Tom on another video link chat from the other side of the planet. Yes, it's that time of the show again, guys. I've got on the line from South Australia. It's Wayne Edwards. How are you doing, Wayne? Ah, oh, great, Tom. Good to hear from you again. <laughs> you too. Well, uh, look, the guys over here just want to keep coming back for more of these uh, surf fables or tales. So, um, 
we've also been promised the chicken killer of Savai'i, Western Samoa. Have I pronounced that correctly? Yes, Savai'i, yes. So uh, perhaps you could elaborate on that one. Where, where, so you were in Western Samoa. When was the first time you went there? Uh, that was a fair bit later. That was probably about 92, so 1992, right. yeah. And uh, I went with a, a good mate, Neil, and we heard there was waves there as well, so in the famous boulders break that's there. So we decided we'd head over. Um, it's always a headache to get there because it's in the sort of the middle of the Pacific, but we left and had to fly from Adelaide to Auckland, Auckland to Samoa, and with the time lag and uh, and all the sort of stops in between, we had to stop at Melbourne, that's right, as well. It uh, ended up being 28 hours later we got there. So we were pretty tired, and the actual plane arrived at 2.30 in the morning. So we got this taxi to into town and decided we were just going to sleep at the bus stop there, opposite Aggie Ray's, a famous hotel. Anyway, we just tried to go to sleep there, and the guy from Aggie's Ray's came over and said, you can't sleep on the bus stop. You've got to come in here. So we ended up just sitting in their foyer until the next morning to get a hire car. And the, the hire guy is a little chimney with a little uh, roof would come off, as it did, because we, I was driving with mate Neil and he went up to the top of the island and we just decided, we're going down the other side and the wind came up and he was then falling asleep and the roof of the chimney blew off. So he woke up, like, just with no roof on the vehicle, screaming, as you would. And so the roof's gone off. We thought, oh, we've got to keep going. We haven't slept at this time for 32 hours or something. And we went down and decided we're going to stay at some farley on the beach. And... Uh, we, we, so we decide that's good and we're all there and we say, we'll go to sleep now. It's getting late in the day. And we said we didn't sleep that night either because the dogs just came and started barking under the fire and having a fight all night, keeping us awake. And that night they brought, brought us this meal and they don't eat that well there. It was camp pie. I don't know if you like camp pie. It's just out of a tin. Green bananas. Yeah. They have hard bananas. right? And so we just looked at this food. It was all out of a tin on this plate and we didn't want to insult them. So... We sort of said, well, we don't want to eat any of this. So, but you know, if we just send it all back, it's like an insult, surely, to them. So we got it and we just went down to the beach and hefted it all into the ocean to get rid of it and give them the plate and said, oh, yum, that was really nice. You know, that was really good. Anyway, the next morning we look over and there's someone else in the farley. And the next one, oh, it's a girl. And we was told about the food and she said, oh, you didn't throw it out, did you? And they're, what do you mean? They're, oh, you can't throw it out. That's the whole family's food. They just let you eat first. <laughs> so we realised we've thrown the whole family's food out, trying not to insult them but throwing their food away. In the morning they roll up, they rolled up and we're saying hello and everything and then we look over and we notice the food is all washed up on the beach. So they're looking over at this food, looking at us oh, no. to see, what, see what's going on. So that was the beginning of what – the surf trip, I got one wave, but we were there for two weeks. And what we would do each day was we'd drive around the island to try and find surf. And we had this argument about because American Samoa is in miles per hour, was it 60 miles per hour on the open road or 60 kilometres per hour? We knew there was a speed limit. And in the town, was it, you know, 30 miles per hour or 30 kilometres per hour? So we'd do these laps of the island. We soon worked that out because all the kids – because they'd go past every day, would throw rocks at us. So these rocks are getting thrown, so we worked out what was going on. We went over to Savai and did the laps around there, and they said, one thing you never do, you hit anybody, any animal in, in a village, you do not stop. 
You do not stop. There will be trouble. So we went through this village and a chicken ran out in front of us. And Neil said, you didn't hit it, did you? You didn't hit it on the... Look at the back. There's a lot of feathers out there. So we realised we could never go through this village again. There, there was no way. We had to get off this island now. So we got the ferry back to Apollo and went back to our accommodation and said, oh, you know, I hope, I hope nothing happens. And we're up in the two-storey two building and all of a sudden we're laying there and a guy came shuffling past the window outside. Well, this is two storeys. What's going on here? What is this? And the guy starts trying to talk to us. And we'd swapped our car for a Red Amigo. And he said, Red Amigo, Red Amigo. And we're there, yeah, yeah, Red Amigo, that's our car. And then he's there, kitchen, kitchen. We're there, kitchen? What's the kitchen got to do with it? And Neil said to me, he's saying chicken. And then we realised he had relatives, obviously, in this other island that rung up and said, find that Red Amigo, they've killed our chicken. So he said, oh, no. Yeah. Chicken, chicken on there. Oh, no, you know, they're very big boys, these Samoans. You know, you don't want to get tangled up with them. So anyway, that's when my mate called me, you're the chicken killer of Savai. So we didn't leave, didn't leave the place for a few hours, but you knew we'd be outside. And we went down to the local supermarket and he was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I was looking in the freezer to see what a frozen chicken was worth. I, I just <laughs> worth getting one to take home and a dozen eggs. So if he comes back to that window, maybe I can appease him in some manner. <laughs> and that whole trip, one day we went to Boulders and this is in two weeks and we saw it wasn't working and we went up the coast a bit and said, we might as well look up the coast. And we saw a little pulse of swell and we went, back really quick and sure there was swell it was breaking and they got people there yeah it started breaking so we got out i took off on one wave so excited and there was boulders as they say i had luckily i had a gaff on i head butted a rock put a dent in my gaff luckily but didn't get injured and then so i was still okay we went back out and the swell stopped that was it one wave in two weeks for the whole trip and now every time i see him he calls me the chicken killer of survival <laughs> wow Wayne, done it again. Thank you very much for that story. Now, I reckon we're going to have to uh, have you back for an extended period of time, actually, to see if you've actually got any dream surf trips you can talk about as well, because you must have come across some good waves on some of these escapades as well. Yeah, maybe I have to keep them secret, though. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. We'll see what we can get out of you down the line. Wayne Edwards, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Crest again. Thank you, Jochen Bauer. Yeah, great, Tom. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, so I was actually in, I was in the same sort of part of Samoa, um, probably around about 2004. Um, I went with um, another longboarder, as you probably know, Ben Skinner. Um, and we had a really, really similar situation where we were driving along at night. Um, I think we'd surfed till late and we were driving back to where we were staying. And quite sad you know quite tragically a a dog ran out into the road um and this american guy that was kind of our guide at the time he he was married to a to a local samoan lady and we we literally nailed this i mean it was we nailed this dog at sort of probably 40 50 miles an hour and we just didn't stop and i was like they're going what about the dog you know we we," and he and he's literally said exactly the same thing um that wayne said um 
you just can't stop. Um, and, and the story, the story went that a European um, sort of couple had done a similar thing sort of ten years previously, um, and, and they had stopped. Um, and unfortunately, they, uh, by all accounts, they were stoned to death. So um, wow. once we were told that story, we kind of uh, yeah, we were quite glad that he kept his his paddle to the oh, metal, and, wow. we, and we made it home that night. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty pretty heavy place. I think you know you kind of. You really do have to. You definitely have to play by play play by the rules, and and there's kind of a there's a lot of kind of it's very tribal, and and, and you know the village wow. chief has a lot of say in, in things. So yeah. you know if you if you fall on the wrong side of them, you you know you're in, you're in some some serious trouble. Gosh, I think um, that Wayne Edwards is going to push himself up a little bit here, though. Now he's not quite going to manage to catch Gary Lewis, but um, we've been quite stingy on him still. Uh, about missing waves because he was on G-Land before and we thought that he was that G-Land was probably still quite good because Wayne we know is is very fussy. Again, I'm pretty sure he was fussy there in Samoa because at some point he's gone out and ridden one wave. I reckon perhaps if uh, you and I had been there uh, Elliot and uh, yeah, you too Rob, I think we would have probably been in the water a bit more. But, you know, on account of how strongly he stresses that he only rode one wave on that entire trip. Do you think we can sort of shove him just up above Stroudy here with like another 0.2 onto his onto missed waves? I think I think yeah, Samoa is probably one of the most fickle places I've ever been on a surf trip. Uh, right, very very difficult place to get waves. So I, okay. I definitely feel for Wayne on that one. Um, All right. Well, we're going to push him up from eleven point eight to twelve then. So uh, Wayne has gone back into a clear second uh, there, and Stroud is in third. There's a there's a very clear. Uh, leaderboard emerging at this point then isn't it uh, yes Rob. so it's time to get the final entries into the leaderboard then for the past six weeks i've been reading a tale written in by one of our dedicated listeners and it's time for a bit of a recap and for each of those to in turn take their position once these guys are in we'll know the final winners let's have a recap joss hawkins cold gar Coldgar, Pirates of the Canaries. Coldgar are a shambles organisation. They were as much used as a chocolate teapot. Another cue whilst I watch people get shafted for fuel and insurance. Absolutely disgraceful. Coldgar. Gary Lewis, Morocco. The two-turned VW lorry slash camper that was parked by the side of us started reversing back towards them. And I registered that the engine wasn't running and there was nobody driving. A young woman appeared in the window of the truck with a look on her face that I'll never forget. She disappeared and the truck went over the headland. Ridian Lewis, ill in the Alps. I love reading this, it's funny. The toilet had blocked and flooded the place a few weeks previously, and the carpet stunk of excrement. I had a 40-degree fever, was confused and babbling. I spent the next seven days alone, lying in a filthy bed, either crying, sleeping, or crying in my sleep. But after four days, I did manage to crawl up the street to buy some bread to eat. By day seven, I was a broken man. Anonymous, Tanal. Portugal. At that moment, I was certain I was getting my first ever tube. Things went wrong pretty quickly from there. This is, it doesn't make for pleasant reading. My previously numb right foot might as well have been on fire. It wasn't bleeding that much. It was sort of just white and fatty looking flesh. My fin had basically gone over the top of my foot and cut down to the bone. Dab marks broken down in La Rochelle. With no news from the mechanic, we realized we were there for the night. We pulled what little was left of our cash together to buy a loaf of bread and a bottle of vodka. As we wandered aimlessly around, it started to pour with rain. No fresh clothes, no money, no food. We wandered around for the whole night. 
waking up on a bench the next day. So, uh, yeah, the awards, here we are. Uh, we'll recap the criteria briefly. We've gone for marks out of 15, three ratings of five. Uh, for a reminder, you there, lost or missed waves, uh, first criteria, the most important bit, definitely. Uh, the second is suffering and hardship. Uh, the third criterion is uh, how tall you can make the tail afterwards. Is it a good car park yarn? Uh, my pen and paper have been with us throughout. Um, we've picked up some of those uh, listener ones there now, and they've dropped in. Um, the highest score out of those listener ones was uh, was Rid coming in with a 7.3, just above a non-Sagres with a 7. Um, Rid actually uh, could have gone much higher, except we'd given him a zero on the missed waves bit because uh, it was snow, wasn't it? <laughs> and it doesn't really count snow. Fair is fair. So, uh, but, you know, had that been waves, he did miss like a whole week of snow, but there we go. Um, and so that that does mean um, that we are ready to uh, award. Um, we'll start off then with with uh, the international award. Um, is is there any surprise? The international award, award here has gone to uh, Wayne Edwards. Um, the, uh, the best um, tale... Round of applause for Wayne. Excellent. Yeah. Best tale on continental Europe um, is to uh, Boot and Bob. Oh. Um, and uh, I was expecting Rid to do well on that one with the snow tail, but I think it's, it is fair to sort of, uh, you know, drop that out. Um, however, uh, Rid gets the highest score out of the listener one. So Rid is the, is the highest uh, listener. And then let's recap the whole of the leaderboard then. So uh, at the bottom was Emily with 1.1, Rhino 5.5. And then we go up through Coldgar and Dav. We come up to the mid-table and on Sagres had a 7, a Rid a 7.3, although he did pick up that award. Harry Cromwell and Luke very close, 7.6 and 7.5. Uh, Gemma got an 8. And then we get to the top end of the table. Andy Martin had an 8.5. Uh, and then we had Boot and Bob, 9.3. PA came in fifth place with 10 points. Mark Vaughan, 10.3. And then we had Stroud in at third, the bronze medal, 11.8. Uh, Wayne Edwards at 12. And then topping the table out throughout both shows. He's still there. The winner is Gary Lewis with 12.5. Excellent. That's a, one of the, it was a lo local classic, that story. Definitely. Congratulations to all. I'd trade my European longboard titles in a second to have topped that leaderboard. Well done, Gary. Epic story, mate. Uh, I've heard it a number of times, but uh, yeah, to hear it again was, was a pleasure. Now, since this isn't necessarily a surf nightmare as such, we've also sat it outside of the awards. But to finish, we have a real gem for you here. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, longboarders and shortboarders, Sponges and resin enthusiasts, as told previously to The Inertia, to Dave Mailman's blog, and in the pages of one of my own scribblings, uh, we thought we'd close this pain to pain in the story I've considered to be the car park surf yarn of all time. I've heard this one many times. I've told it even more, probably. But we have to have it from the source. Rob, we sent you on a mission to collect this tale from Matthew Hapgood, formerly of Porthcall, but now resident of Burgau in the Algarve, and you've come good. It's in the bag. For our Crest listeners, we give you. Does it have a title? It's too good to fit into a title. Ah, oh, let's hear it. Now for a tale that if you've ever spent any time surfing in mainland Europe, you'll be all too familiar with. 
maybe not this particular tale of surf woe, but something similar, no doubt. The revered and often feared automatic toilets of the continent. Now, I, as a Grom, grew up hearing whispers of people becoming trapped and having to live out their days in these contraptions in random French beach car parks, or even drowning when their auto flush filled to the brim before the occupant could escape. These, of course, were part of the rich canon of surf folklore, exaggerated beyond recognition, but entertaining nonetheless. We're joined today by Math Hapgood, whose story is neither far-fetched nor exaggerated. In fact, it's been corroborated by others on the trip and has been doing the rounds of the South Wales surf scene for years. I must admit, Math, that I've dined out on this one once or twice too. Set the scene for us. Where were you and who were you with? Um, so this was... Uh, it's 1998, so it was the first trip me and Tris Duma Davis took, like, for me, without my parents on a surf trip. Um, you know, we had no money. We just left school, finished A-levels. So <laughs> we decided it's a good idea to get the bus from London, Victoria, to, it must have been Bayonne. I was thinking about it yesterday. It was Bayonne. So 28-hour bus ride or more. Um, I existed, but yeah, it used to exist. So first of all, we had to get a lift. We got a lift to London off my uncle. Had a day in London, uh, waiting for the bus to leave. The bus left at like seven p.m. Must have gone overnight. Yeah, and then we arrived in Bayonne. I can't really remember the time. And then we were like, right, we need to get to the waves. Let's get. How do we get there? So we got on another bus. Um. <laughs> This time it went to Capriton. So we just got on a little bus. There is another story within this story. And we left our, you know, you've got your big bag with your clothes in. We had a little bag with yeah. all of your safe stuff, like your passport. And I had traveler's checks, can you believe? Uh, and we left our little safe bags on the little bus and it drove off. Um. <laughs> um, and then Tris ran after the bus. I'd forgotten about this. Tris ran after the bus. Somebody saw him running after the bus. He jumped in their car. They drove after the bus in the car, flagged it down, got our stuff, uh, and then they drove back to where I was waiting with our boards and our big bags and dropped him off. And then, you know, that was like the first 10 minutes of the trip, basically. I love this. Off to a good yeah. start. Um, and then... A bonus. A, yeah, we... It's a podcast in a podcast story <laughs> yeah oh there were lo there's loads of funny stories this is like first ever surf trip you know so loads of things went wrong um so we got we got off the bus in capriton and i was going to look on the map where we got off but we got off at capriton veal and we thought we were going to be oh, at yeah. the beach we're like, oh where's the beach and we ended up walking for what seemed like miles it probably was a couple of miles and we came out we we arrived onto the beach then like boiling hot sweaty three o'clock in the afternoon um at i've forgotten the names of the breaks you know where the where the breakwaters are at capriton yeah. like main beach yeah yeah uh i was like right cool we're at the beach amazing and we had our tent you know we, we just took a tent that was the plan um traipsed along the beach looking for somewhere to pitch a tent it's just like a crowded summer's day nowhere to put a tent up and sleep for the night walked all the way down to la piste by the bunkers and the sand dunes kind of start down that area and this you know this is 20 years ago so 
we um, walked over the dunes into the, there's like a little gravelly car park, started chatting to a few of the van travelers and there's some guys from Jersey, got chatting to them, cracked open a beer and they were like, I'll oh, just put your tent over there. And there's like a little patch of sand. So we weren't actually on the gravel. We were on a bit of sand, put the tent up, blah, blah, blah. Um, went for a little surf and, uh, yeah, the evening was good. And, you know, you're all sitting around you're like, oh, where can I go for a, you know, a piss? I need a toilet. And they're like, oh, there's a toilet, like a proper toilet up on the top of the dune. And we're like, oh, cool. It's a toilet up there. Amazing. So we've got like, got a tent. We've got the beach. We've got some food. We've got some beers. Happy days. That's all we kind of needed. Um, so had a few beers, went to bed, woke up in the morning and um, I went to check the surf. And you know how it is. First thing in the morning, you're busting for a busting for a wee. There's lots of people milling around, so I couldn't really just go by the tent or by the van. So I was like, oh, I'll go up and use use the toilet. And as I was going up, one of the boys was like, oh, just um, be careful. The toilet up there, the lock is broken, so it, it won't lock. So if you go in, just you know, keep your hand on the door or something if you're going for a poo. And uh, I went up and sort of waited around. So I thought, oh, I might be somebody inside. I don't want to do the British thing and have an embarrassing moment, open the door and someone be on the toilet. So I thought, I'll wait around. Waited for a few minutes, like probably five five minutes. And there was, um, nobody came out. So I thought, oh, there's no one in there. And this particular toilet, go back to what you said, this was one that was one of the self-cleaning toilets. Yeah. So once you go in, just for anyone who doesn't know, you go in, use the toilet, um, once you go out again, shut the door, it recognises that someone's been in, use the toilet, shut the door, and it'll start cleaning with disinfectant and blah, blah, blah. Some of them... That's it, and it makes such a racket as well, doesn't it? And oh, super loud. I, yeah, I it sounds like an aeroplane taking off. There were all those stories about people like drowning in them and getting stuck in them and all sorts of wild yeah. tales. But this is... I, I know where this story's going, and it's so I funny. I think... Uh, Mark Schofield's got a good toilet tale, actually, uh, of when he, <laughs> when he was in Osegal. Um So I, I was on top of the dune, like, oh, right, I'm going to go in. I opened the door, and again, in France, for some of you that don't know, they have squat and drop toilets. So it's just a hole, basically, in the ground. There's no sort of pan that you sit on. It was just a squat and drop, so you pull your kegs off and squat, and away you go. And there was a guy squatting with like, I just remember him looking really grubby, curly hair, not dissimilar to yours, actually. Now, looking up now. at me. And he was like, ah, he didn't, we, like no words were spoken, but if he had spoken, it would have been like, ah, you. And I was like, oh, sorry. And then as I like motioned to shut the door, his expression was like, you asshole, changed to like, Please, no. <laughs> so I shut the door and he knew what was coming. I shut the door and I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. I just was embarrassed. I was like, oh, I just busted in on something. Yeah. Shut the door. And then the, the, you know, the motor started whirring and the sound yeah. of high-powered jets and disinfectants started going. And this was our first day. And I shut the door. I was like, oh, no. And it all started going. And I ran... I just ran back to the tent, hid in the tent, and I—I I, I think Tris must have been asleep. Or I woke him up, and it's like, oh, I just—I just busted in on someone 
in the in the toilet and they just got disinfected. And uh, yeah, I, we waited around in the car park. We didn't see him. He well, I don't know what happened it's, to him. Whether he presumably he was he was blue when he came blue, out. Blue, maybe a bit of brown, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, oh, that yeah. tale has done the rounds. It's it's so good. I can just picture that that expression on his face. He knows what's coming. You're unsure, and sure enough, soon to be covered in disinfectant. And again, for those of you that aren't familiar with these toilets. They, they seem, the, the French or whoever's designed these seem to be adamant that this toilet's going to be spotless after this wash. And so they just, they don't just hose down the toilet area. They hose down the entire That's cubicle. The whole cubicle the is soaking wet. And yeah. Brilliant story, Matt. Thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing, uh, hearing all the other tales over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. you know, can you just imagine the the discomfort that, you know that that man's forced into i think i think we've all got a similar one i think that those those french toilets i mean i don't know how they became so popular um yeah everyone i know has been caught out in in you know some shape or Elliot, form by one you you and i cooked dinner in one yeah i think we have yeah we've used one <laughs> to shelter from the storm once um, as, I mean, as long as you keep that door open, you're good. It's, but once that door closes, it's game over. You know, it's yeah, it's, it's anyone's yeah. bet. You know what? Yeah. What's part of the cycle you're on? Are you on the cleaning cycle or on the using yeah. cycle? You know, yeah. it's uh, it's you against the toilet. Once that door once that door is closed. Well, thanks, Elliot. How have you enjoyed it? Great fun, great fun. Yeah, it was it was amazing to chat with you guys and hear some of these stories. Um, I think I said to Tom earlier, you know, it really kind of listening to everyone else recount their tales actually reminded me of, of loads and loads of stories that I'd sort of forgotten about, really. So, um, you know, it, and that's one of the beauties of surf travel. You know, it kind of rekindles sort of a, an excitement in you to, to go out and do it all again. Um, so hopefully Absolutely. once all this kind of situation dies down, we'll all be able to travel, even if it's uh, just, uh, you know, a couple of hours down the road to, to Lynmouth or something. I'm sure that we'll hear from you again. All that remains is for us to thank the listeners too and to let you know that Crest's interview series will resume next week with a chat with Gower Ripper and national coach Gwen Spurlock. To hear our interview with Gwen as soon as you can, why not subscribe to us? That can be done on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we're still open to listener surf tales. And with those put to bed, they don't have to be nightmares anymore. That said... We'll still take the disaster stories with glee, as you've seen. The email is castquest at gmail.com, and we're also on Instagram, where you can see pictures to accompany a few of the tales which have appeared in these episodes. In the meantime, stay safe and see you for our next show. Bye. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Hoyle Vaur, Aguerra Chiatro Nessa. Bye.